Hi, EMIGCAST members. My name is Shelby Van Leuven, Med22, and I'm here with Dr. Rebecca Marshall, who is a pediatric psychiatrist here at Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Today, we're going to be talking about a quick overview of the psychiatric onboarding process for pediatric patients who present to the emergency room. Dr. Marshall, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself? So, um, my name is Rebecca Marshall. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Dornbecker. I work on the consult liaison service, so I mostly focus on seeing kids in crisis who are either in the emergency room or in the hospital, um, although I also see some outpatients. And I also do a little bit of research and some program evaluation and management. So where did you do your training to become a pediatric psychiatrist? So I did all of my medical training at OHSU. I went to medical school here. I did my, and I did a um, MD, MPH. And then after I did the joint program, I did adult residency for three years. And then I did two years of child psychiatry fellowship. Okay, so the child psychiatry is a fellowship. It's not, there's no child psychiatry residency. No, so to become a child psychiatrist, you do three to four years of adult psychiatry training, residency, and then you have to do a fellowship, which is two years. Did you get specific training in your fellowship to manage children in acute crises, or is that something that is taught just across the board for any psychiatry residency? Well, so... Um, the thing about uh, psychiatry training is that when you do your three years of adult psychiatry training, you, you learn to recognize kind of general categories of what we call psychopathology or psychiatric disease. So you learn what an adult patient with schizophrenia looks like, and you learn what an adult patient with depression or suicidality looks like. So you can, and then you also learn about adults who get agitated and you should, as part of an adult psychiatry residency, learn how to manage agitation in adults. So you kind of get the general landscape. Mm -hmm. And then in your child um, fellowship training, you kind of learn how to manage those things in kids, which often looks different. Um, the approach to evaluation is different and the treatment is different. So you kind of, um, like with any fellowship, narrow down your focus to those general categories, but in kids. Okay. Um, how often do you get consults to the ED for pediatric patients specifically? So we see anywhere from 20 to 30 kids in the ED um, a month. And it depends a little bit on, um, it, it's variable based on the season. So we tend to see more kids in the fall and the spring, the kind of mid to late spring. Um, which, Any idea why? Or? <laughs> well, I think it has to do with the school year. So okay. kids, um, you know, there's kind of this honeymoon period when they start out the school year. They're like excited to see their friends. They feel like this is going to be a good year. And then the reality of homework and tests and boredom and stress and all of those things kind of hits in. So we tend to see a spike in presentations in the 
you know, starting like late September, early October. And then there's generally a period around Thanksgiving, Christmas when kids do a little bit better. And then it starts to kind of slowly escalate in January, February, and usually it reaches like fever pitch by April, May. When that's Those are our peak months when we see um, anywhere from 50 to 60 kids a month. And hmm. at least over half of those are usually in the emergency department. What's like the age range of kids normally? Um, most of the kids, so there's a group of kids who we tend to see who are more kind of anxiety, um, behavioral, like ADHD, um, behavioral issues. And that's anywhere from like seven to 12. And then we see a lot of kids who are suicidal or have had suicide attempts. And those kids tend to be more from 13 to under 18. Um, we don't see kids over 18. Um, Although we're seeing younger and younger kids who are suicidal and have had suicide attempts. Um, so what is the ultimate goal for you when you first see a patient in the ED and how does that ultimate goal kind of assess how uh, or influence how you assess the patient? Um, are you often assessing to admit a patient or assessing to discharge patients? Well, so... If there's a difference between that, you know. There there is a difference. I would say my ultimate goal is to understand why a child is not doing well and to figure out what the most effective treatment for that child will be. And then um, there's kind of the ideal most effective treatment, and then there's the reality of mental health services in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to figure out kind of given the system that we have in Oregon, how we can help the child and family the most. So we do a really comprehensive assessment that's often like an hour to two hours of talking to the child and talking to the family. And sometimes we'll call teachers or an outside therapist and try to figure out what is the underlying problem or problems. And then um, if we can figure out a way to get a child back home safely, we always want to keep kids in the home if we can and try to work on whatever the problem is, whether it's depression or ADHD or bullying at school. Um, the best place for kids to work on those things is at home. So if we can send a child home safely with a therapist and or psychiatrist, um, medications, improved child-parent relations, um, we will always try to do that in the home. But if for various reasons we don't feel like we can come up with a safe plan for a child to go home, then we'll um, either keep them in the emergency room and then um, transfer them to an inpatient psychiatric program, or on some occasions they'll be admitted to Dornbecker, and we'll try to figure out a plan from the, from inside the hospital. Okay. And then so when they get inside the hospital, do they go to a specific floor or do they go to a specific area of the hospital? Is there a segregated psychiatric area for children or yeah, so, how does that um, work? There's no psychiatric unit for kids at OHSU. In fact, there's no psychiatric unit for anybody at OHSU. There used to be an adult psychiatric unit and that was... Um, shut down when Unity opened. Unity is one of the kind of 
big psychiatric hospitals at in Portland, and it has um, different wards for adults, and then it has one um, ward for children. Um, but there's nothing at Dornbecker or OHSU. So generally what happens is um, if a child comes into the emergency room in with some sort of psychiatric crisis, um, if there's a medical issue, for example, um, if they've overdosed on a medication and they need medical treatment um, that can't be effectively managed in the ED, then they'll be transferred either to the PICU, the pediatric ICU, or to one of the medical wards. Um, and then we'll see them there. If a kid, for example, um, takes a kind of small or low-risk overdose, um, and they can just be monitored and cleared within a few hours, then sometimes they'll be kept in the ED, and we'll do our assessment in the ED, and then if we think that they need to go to an inpatient unit, we'll transfer them from the ED to that inpatient psych unit. Mm. Um, what kind of assessment you were talking about earlier, what kind of assessment is it? Is it a questionnaire-based? Is there, um, what, what goes in, what is involved in the assessment process? So our assessments are pretty long because essentially we're asking a child about their life and, you know, what we want to ask about psychiatric symptoms to be sure. So we want to ask about symptoms of depression, about anxiety, about psychosis. Um, but then also you have to understand kind of the child and how their mind works and what's going on in their environment. So I often start out but just by chatting with a kid and kind of Partly it's to get a sense of who they are, and partly it's because kids don't often feel comfortable talking about personal stuff with a total stranger, especially an adult um, who they've never met before. So I try to just kind of um, break the ice a little bit by asking them goofy questions like, what's your favorite movie, or what do you like to do with your friends, or you know, just kind of joking around. And that can be super... <laughs> helpful because you get a sense of whether this is a kid who's comfortable and open or whether it's a kid who's like fearful and shut down. And then you have to ask, why is that child fearful and shut down? Is it because they're hearing voices and they think that I'm going to hurt them? Is it because they've been abused and they don't trust anyone? Um, is it because they're super, super anxious and like they're so anxious that they can't even really talk about things? Um, so that's when it gets interesting because you start to ask questions about why a child is the way he or she is, and then you ask questions to try to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. um, does your work ever involve contacting child services or child protective services and social services in relation to why a, uh, a child might be presenting to the ED? Yeah, so if there's, so we're mandatory reporters, like all, mm -hmm. pretty much all clinical healthcare personnel. And so if a child um, discloses any kind of abuse, and um, sometimes it's clear that um, DHS is involved, and so we'll be calling DHS to kind of get their perspective on what's going on in the home um, or wherever the child is living. But if there's, an, if there's a disclosure of any kind of abuse and it hasn't been... Um, reported to DHS, then we always call. And if we're just concerned about the home environment or have suspicions, then we'll sometimes call just to let DHS know that this is a kid who we think needs to be on their radar. So yes, I would say probably at least once a week we call DHS. 
Can you talk about some of the most common reasons or associated diagnoses that patients or their families would seek emergency help for? So over the last five years, I think we've had a doubling of cases of children and teenage and adolescents coming into the ED for mental health reasons. Most of those kids either have suicidal thoughts, what we call suicidal ideation, or they've had a suicide attempt, or sometimes, um, uh, yeah, one of those two things. Um, What we'll see is a child who's been struggling for a period of time with depression or bullying or severe anxiety, or they're in a group of kids that are um, kind of all struggling together, and sometimes we see these like copycat cases um, where a child will, um, you know, where there's a group of friends and none of them are doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these kids often will will be thinking about suicide um, and sometimes they'll tell their parents or sometimes parents will learn about this via Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Um, and then there's often a lot of alarm and parents don't know what to do and the kids don't always know what to do. Um, and I think because there's such a severe shortage of mental health care in Oregon, sometimes families just bring their kids into the ED because they don't know what to do. Um, so we'll see kids who are suicidal. We often see kids who are struggling with depression or anxiety. Sometimes we have really severe cases of OCD. Um, Sometimes we see kids who are psychotic or have bipolar disorder. Um, And sometimes we see kids who have had really awful lives, who have had um, lots of foster placements or abuse or neglect or whose parents were using drugs and just not there. Um, And those kids have lots of Um, different kinds of presentations. Sometimes they come in and they're suicidal. Sometimes they're aggressive. Sometimes they keep running away. Um, Recently, we've had a number of girls who have been sex trafficked and no one can figure out how to keep them safe. And so they bring them into the ED to try to figure out how to get a handle on these girls' mental health and keep them safe so that they can get appropriate care. Um, How long does it usually take a patient to get admitted and then start treatment? And if it's a long time, what do you think are the factors that kind of affect the the timeline of admittance for these patients? Um, So there are two different admitted to psych program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, that is such a big issue right now throughout the state because there's been such a huge increase in kids with mental health problems. Um, coming to emergency rooms, and um, there has not been an increase of inpatient programs or really outpatient care. Um, So often, especially at these busy times of year that I was talking about in the fall and spring, um, there will be long waiting lists at all of the inpatient psychiatric programs. So there will be like 30 kids waiting for a bed at Unity, for example. And so if we have a child who's in the emergency room here who we don't think we can safely send home, maybe because they're suicidal, maybe because they're psychotic um, and making unsafe decisions and the parents don't feel like they can keep them safe, then we'll keep them in the ED sometimes for up to two weeks, which is kind of a 
crazy situation because they're like in this little room in the ED. They can't walk around. They can't go outside. They're bored out of their minds. And often these kids actually end up doing worse while they're stuck in their little ED room um, until we can transfer them to an inpatient program where they can get kind of the help they need. Um, and then, so I guess in response to that, what are some ways that you envisioning things improving over the next few years? Um, so a lot of people in the division here are working on improving mental health systems for kids. One of the programs that I'm involved in is called Crisis and Transition Services. It's a state-funded program which um, involves basically creating these intensive outpatient um, time-limited services for kids who would otherwise be boarding in EDs. So we have um, mental health providers from the community come into the ED and meet with kids and then put together an intensive support plan so that they can leave the ED and go home um, and get intensive services while they're waiting for long-term outpatient services. So that's one thing. And then we have a number of people who are working at the state to increase residential um, placements for kids to improve primary care management of psychiatric issues so that if a kid can't get in to see a psychiatrist, like in some parts of the state there aren't psychiatrists for kids, um, so we have to rely on primary care providers to provide psychiatric services. Um, and so we're working to support primary care providers um, in providing psychiatric care for kids. Um, and for sure working on improving the outpatient system of care for kids. So my last question is that, what are some things that you would like medical students who will be working with you or in the psychiatric department or with the emergency department to know about the process uh, for pediatric psychiatry patients? I think I would want medical students to um, to think about kids with mental health problems as being like kids with medical problems. Like they're kids you can talk to, they're kids you can ask about their lives, you can joke around with them, um, and that they're part of the population that we all have to care for. Um, and that a lot of these kids um, you know, there's still a lot of stigma about mental health in our nation and in the world. Um, and it's hard for, for a lot of the kids we see to feel like people might think they're crazy or fucked up or messed up, however you want to say. Um, and so I think it's really important with these kids to give them space to talk about whatever it is they're struggling with, but to also give them space to talk about how they're doing well and how they might be cool or um, what they're good at and to kind of make space for them to be whole people, not just kids who are depressed or who are like stuck in the hospital waiting for a bed, but to let them talk about other things and to kind of give them a space to be admired. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for asking me questions. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode about pediatric psychiatric onboarding processes. I hope that if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll continue to subscribe to future podcasts. And as always, thanks so much from your eMig cast team.